Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast Investorpreneurs, where investor meet entrepreneur. Here we talk about everything investing, entrepreneurism, successes, and even failures. It is that innovation, perseverance, connection, and execution that has built wealth for families around the world. And is that foundation to that economy is startup. Startups is what we're going to talk about here today. And of course, I'm your host, Peter Leung, and I'm a global real estate investor, private equity, business, and angel investor as well. You've probably seen me on videos or working with people on stage, serial entrepreneurs and investors talking about how to build wealth, how to plan for success. It is my ability to take some of these advisory roles to building, scaling, and replicating these businesses to its commercial valuation. And I am extremely proud to have these guys as role models here today. These two individuals I'm gonna introduce are stellar people, Sam Chandola and Thamer Matar. These guys are absolutely the real deal. They are extremely cool individuals as well from my hometown in Vancouver with many successful startups under their belt as well. Their recent successes of that first fund where they helped fund startups with seed capital while managing risk for investors capital, which is absolutely critical. And they're solving two tremendous problems in their businesses. Now they're marrying these two desires of these groups while helping society at the same time. And that is what I'm extremely proud to introduce them to you today. Their track record has been impeccable and they've done multiple businesses with many awards to these businesses and these individuals. So with that being said, Sam, Thamer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. It's, it's really awesome because you guys really have done something that is long been awaited in the industry, uh, long been awaited in the capital raising and also the element of seed capital, because that's what most businesses struggle with. And you guys also not only do that, but you also help these businesses with your background and experience. So with that all being said, I'm going to take one of you at a time, but Sam, can you tell us what First Fund really all is about? And we'll start lead in with that. Absolutely. Peter, First Fund is all about giving people a chance. We go out there, we look for entrepreneurs who've got the passion, who've got the drive, who have the will to create something out of nothing, and we help support them by giving them the capital they need to get started. My background is as a serial entrepreneur myself. I, I remember starting back in 2012, 2013, having such a hard time raising that first check. You, you have the best of ideas, the best of intentions, and everybody is interested in investing in you once you have traction and once you have product. But you're in a catch-22 situation where you need funds to build product, but you need products to raise funds. And I've seen that over and over again in my career as an entrepreneur as well. And I was lucky enough to have a couple of exits over the last uh, eight to nine years in my own entrepreneurial journey. And then I put first one together specifically to say, we are going to be that pre-seed capital. We are going to be the risk takers who are going to help entrepreneurs when they're first starting out and when they need that first investor to come in and say, you know what, I'll take a bet, not on the product, but but on but not on the horse, but on the jockey. We are investing in entrepreneurs and we're very proud to be able to do that at First Fund. While, as you said, at the same time, being very mindful of, of the risk that we're taking and finding ways to mitigate our investors' risks. That is incredible. You guys are betting on the jockey. Okay, so that's the consistency that you guys are looking for. Absolutely. All right, so Samer, you know, talk about this. You guys have done multiple startups now together. Let's lead in with this, right? How do you guys meet and how do you build this relationship between the two of you in terms of having this partnership? Because partnerships are, are one of the things 
that are really hard to, to scale on, right? It's really hard to find the right people. It, it requires communication, it requires that work. So share with us this, how did you guys come together and, and work together here as you've had so much success? It was my first startup, OpenSpot, uh, which was, I started as the Airbnb parking. I was still a student at Sam Fraser University doing an engineering degree. At the same time, Sam was an entrepreneur himself who started the same platform called Garage in Vancouver. And to be honest with you, sometimes you meet random people by luck. And that was a story between Sam and myself. Vancouver is a small town. So two young guys starting the same startup will eventually meet each other. And that's eventually Sam and I, we met together and we decided that, I mean, we should join forces and work together instead of against each other. And that's what we did. Uh, we joined forces. We combined both companies. It was Smarter Solutions and Garage, Dope as well Technologies. We launched a platform and I was still, I was still a student at Sam Fraser University. Sam, Sam at that time would have had his first or second exit and this was the third uh, company they started out. So I, it was more for me, it was a learning lesson, learning from him, from his experience while building up my first startup. We eventually pivoted that company into, into smart, smart parking. We helped cities manage all their parking assets through uh, visual data and using AI. But while working on a day-to-day basis, I would always go back to him for mentorship to learn. We've had, we had our differences. We still do have our differences till this day, but it's always finding this common ground and you know, just informing each other, being fully honest and having that trust basis that, okay, when he does something, I do fully trust him and vice versa early on and learning from each other's mistakes. You know, I, he's made a lot of mistakes, probably more than I have. So I get to learn from that a lot so I can avoid and avoid these costly mistakes. So it, it was a good partnership and it, it is still an amazing partnership that's been growing and growing. And I think that that's the type of best partnerships to have is to join forces, build an, a startup, whether it works or not. And then if it doesn't work, you move on to the next startup. If it works, perfect. Peter, if I may add to something to that, something you brought up that's super interesting in which you said, how do you work as a partnership? Because it's difficult to scale that up and there are, there are challenges. Absolutely, there are. And I would say, funnily enough, even this morning, you know, we had a miscommunication yeah. <laughs> and, and we were like, hey, what's happening? And then we were both going at each other. But I think the important thing is when you're working together is you have to approach it without an ego. And you have to be very honest and upfront with the people that you are working with. And both Tamer and I have that. Like I said, funny situation. Just this morning, we had an incident where... Tamer thought I had done something and he reached out to me and I hadn't done it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know about this. And there's a back and forth. And then we quickly realized there was just a miscommunication and we fixed it up. But again, we were honest about it. We were upfront about it. You know, we called each other out yep. on things that happen as well, but we do it in a respectable manner. And when we, one does it, everybody knows that we do it with the intention of making the, the team better and stronger. So that's that has been critical you know, in our partnership. We all have a common goal in the end, Peter, that we both want the same success. And that's what helps a lot too. Absolutely. Com- commonality, right? You guys are looking for striving for that success and together. And, I'm, and I'm, that's why I'm very proud of you guys. You guys really have worked well together. You guys carry that, that business acumen in such a tremendous way. So now that you've done that for first one, look, tell me this. You've seen a lot of startups, right? Obviously on this podcast, we have a lot of successful entrepreneurs around the world. We also have startups listening to this podcast. So can you share with us this? You guys are evaluating the jockeys in this case, as you put it not just the business, not just the idea. Sam, can you share with me this? What makes the right jockey? What are some of the things that you like to invest in? And then I'm going to turn it to Thamer to what to avoid. Great question, Peter. If you're thinking about the jockey first and foremost, let's forget industry and sector for a second, right? There are three things that we look for in jockeys. And I actually have them all mapped out. We call it drive, spike, and grit. You know, and just very briefly getting into it, the first thing is, hey, 
Do you have drive? Can you get going? Can you solve problems? Can you be a self-starter? And can you inspire other people to join your mission? You know, can you be that kind of person? That's drive that we look for. Second is spike. And by spike, you have this huge spike of domain knowledge in one particular thing. And that's where you're building your startup around. In certain cases, we have seen older entrepreneurs saying, hey, listen, I spent 15 years working in this industry. I've identified this unique problem that I face every single day. And now I'm building a startup to solve it. And that spike, it means they have domain knowledge and that's a great competitive advantage. And then spike can come in different forms. It doesn't always have to be somebody who's working in the industry 15 years. You could just be out of college and still have spike in one particular and domain and that's really great as well and the last and i would say the most important is grit and grit means to us the ability to take a hundred rejections and still keep going you're going to have days when it's not going your way you're going to have times when everything is going wrong and the question is when that happens can you get up and get going again? When that window closes, can you find another door that is opening up and get there? On an individual jockey level, that's what we look for. If you look at you know the startup as a whole, we are very industry agnostic. We have invested across fintech, medtech, gaming, hospitality, retail, food and delivery, e-commerce, you name it. But what we look for are holistic teams. We prefer teams that have more than one founder, at least two co-founders, preferably one of them having at least a technical background. We want to look at a team and say, okay, within this team, you can solve a lot of that problems yourself. You don't need to solve every single problem. You don't need to fill every single role in that early founding days, but we do want to see two or three co-founders coming together, taking ownership of a domain in particular that they can focus on, whether it's tech, business development, marketing, and then you're just astronomically increasing your also success by betting on the right team and betting on the right jockey. Yeah, that's very cool. And and then that's far as other questions coming up, but I'll come back to you. So, Thamer, yeah. who are the jockeys that you absolutely want to avoid in this case? Because you guys are squeezing yeah. this stuff and you guys see tons <laughs> of business all the time. So what, may, what doesn't make your checklist? Absolutely. I think one of the first things is dishonesty, right? Entrepreneurs who can be honest with themselves first or with their investors or the people around them. So if, you, like, if they, they can't tell us the bad news or something's going bad or they need help, to us, this is, it's crucial, even with ourselves. The second thing is if they can't do the hard work or the dirty work. And when, what I mean by that is like rolling up their sleeves and getting down dirty. For example, in, our, in, in my first startup, OpenSpot, um, we couldn't afford to hire proper engineers to go out and install parking sensors that could monitor these parking spots. So I did it myself. I, I would go pick up a drill, right? Grab a bunch of friends. I would go to the street to put on the construction suit and install them ourselves just so to get things rolling, to move things forward. So I think from, from our end, those two main things, uh, if you have entrepreneurs who are in roller sleeps and work hard and be fully honest where things are going bad or not, I think it's, it plays a big role. Absolutely. And I'll, you know, to Tamer's second point, Peter, on uh, he was out there on the streets putting the senses himself. I had the privilege of sitting down with uh, Evan Spiegel, the CEO of Snapchat, and had a chat with him once. And I asked him, how did you get your first 5,000 installs? How did Snapchat begin and get that initial 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 customers would go in? And he said, I just stood out there on the streets of Santa Monica Boulevard and I handed people flyers telling them to go download Snapchat. He, he, he did tell me they probably in hindsight, not the best way of getting customers and the conversion rate was quite low. I think absolutely, you know, suppose Tamer's point as well on you have to get out there and and not be afraid to do the dirty work for sure. And I couldn't agree more with Tamer when he said, you, you have to be honest with investors that you're going to be talking with. One of the great advantages that I think Tamer and I have in running First Fund, 
we are both entrepreneurs ourselves. We have both built startups, run startups. And yep. as I say, we can smell the bullshit because we have been there. And we know all the tricks you're going to use to kind of make the numbers look better and then work with the stats and whatnot. And I'm like, listen, forget about it. We get it's hard in the beginning. Be honest with us, be upfront with us, and, and we can help solve those problems. Okay. So on the flip side, right, one of the things about raising capital, and you guys have been tremendous at doing that, because of your track record, because of that no bullshit mentality, and the fact that you're serving the industry as a whole, the startup community, and of course, in, in Canadian companies or American companies, that's something you guys have an advantage of because that's the pinnacle or that's the foundation to the economy. So you guys are solving two really big problems, and, and that's why you've had such tremendous success because you guys had that core focus. So flipping around to raising capital, right? You guys have that track record. What would you say allows you guys to raise capital while other people struggle because you guys are getting that capital from investors from around the world because of your track record but how are you presenting it what type of benefits are you offering to these investors in a very quick nutshell yeah absolutely i think peter it boils down to what i call respect for capital we have a lot of respect for capital and our investors capital and like Tamer's last startup and the one that I was supporting open spot. Things we just we figured out early on, things were not going the right way. When the pandemic started, parking was a hit massively at that point of time. Nobody was driving, nobody was parking. And uh, and we had a path where it was like, you know what? We could take all the money that we have and all the money we have secured in various incentives and continue paying ourselves for the next six, seven months as the company slowly dies out because the pandemic's not going to go anytime soon. Or we can take this this pool right now and return all the money back to our investors with a little bit of on top of what they invested. And we chose to do that. And that stemmed from a respect for capital. And we have the same respect for capital now that we're running first fund. Yes, we're taking you know high risk bets in, in early stage tech companies and we're very proud to do that. But we're also structured the fund in a way where we are able to take advantage of a number of different tax incentives and refundable tax credits and other incentives that are available to support the startup ecosystem in the United States and Canada that allows us to still protect our investors' capital in case things do go south with startups. And listen, things will go down south with startups. That's the whole nature of the game. But we have structured our fund in a manner where, you know what, if we find out a startup fails, no worries at all. We have triggers and incentives in place to make sure our capital is protected and our investors' capital is protected. And at the same time, a lot of times when something fails, we're not blaming the entrepreneur. And I think that's very important. Sometimes you can have a great entrepreneur with a great product, but maybe not the right fit or the right market or the right timing. And if, if it's that scenario, we tell the entrepreneur, you know what, totally fine. You tried, it didn't work, but you are a great jockey. We'll find ways to recover our capital. Don't worry about that. Here's another investment for your next thing, because I know you're really good. It just wasn't this time, but you've learned a lot of lessons from this one. And I want to be on the next one when now you have all this learning and all this education and you can use that to build the next big thing. That's incredible because your respect for capital, I'm going to quote that one. I think that's a great quote. So with that being being the case, Thamer, what do you see as now with the pandemic and having that experience with OpenSpot with your previous business? What do you see now? Pandemic obviously changed a lot of things. So being relevant uh, here in timing, can you tell me what type of industries that you want to be involved in terms of looking at these startups or vice versa, which ones that you definitely avoid at this point? Absolutely. From a first fund perspective, right, is we are industry agnostic. We, we have to invest in some medical companies. But I think from my, from my personal perspective, I just started a recent startup uh, called Accessible Jobs, where 
we focused on building a job search platform for people with disabilities. Before the pandemic, people with disabilities always had a hard time finding a job. Now the pandemic is going to be, it's going to be even worse. So I think one of the things is that by helping people find jobs that are available in the market, that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it could be in terms of, from a transportation perspective, focus on the eco-charging perspective in terms of anything that has to do with against fossil fuels, such as electric vehicles, right? That's another aspect of it too. Those ones are the ones that you uh, like. Those, ones are, those are the industries that you're liking at this moment? Exactly. FinTech is another one too. From a gaming, also, we've invested some in some gaming platforms. Uh, anything to do with online, anything that's software, anything that's SaaS-based plays a big role. Anything that's able to help solve a big problem in terms of employment, in terms of moving people around, or now we're all working from home, people are playing online games a lot. So the sectors are moving from offices to homes. So what do you do at home? We'll, we'll play another role too. For us, for me personally, in terms of accessible jobs, uh, and we're launching into this month, just from our own uh, due diligence and research and analysis, there is a big need for it. To have a centralized platform in the world for people with disabilities where all the jobs are on there and they can be hired from anywhere in the world. Because nowadays, a lot of people are working from home. A lot of jobs are remote work. So I can be hired for a job, for example, down in San Francisco, and I can be here in Vancouver and still be able to do it. Okay. So Sam, in, in this particular case, with what you have in terms of scale, in terms of the operations, in terms of industries to, to invest into, what's in your crystal ball? Now that we've gone through elements of this pandemic, we've gone through now starting the vaccination and continuing through that, and then possibly coming out of the, the, the pandemic, what's in your crystal ball? What, what do you see in terms of the economy? How are you seeing this being the new norm is there such thing as a new norm or are we just completely going to revert back to uh, where we were or are we going to come out uh, totally different and new industries emerging and some industries actually moving on so peter even before the pandemic as the expression goes software was eating the world and things were already changing the trend lines were already there it was happening at a pace and i think the pandemic just came and accelerated it by 30 years within the span of one year I believe that a lot of that we have seen, the work from homes, you know, the hybrid model of going into the office a couple of days a week instead of five days a week and then working from home, the trends in online shopping. I see a lot of those are going to stay. I think that's going to become the new normal because you are already trending towards those systems over the last 10, 20 years. And now you've got a ton of people like my mother who never shopped online before and who now takes extreme delight in figuring all these things that she can get delivered to her doorstep just by the tap of a few buttons. And when you have somebody in her age group and her generation taking delight in that, you can only imagine how much more convenience somebody much younger and much more tech savvy already feels about just being able to do everything from their home or online and not really you know, figuring out why they would need to go somewhere to get something happen. And that's one of the reasons why, as First Fund as well, we are extremely bullish on e-commerce. We have made a number of e-commerce bets out of First yep. Fund right now. You know, We can already see the growth rates being there. I think from one of the startups we invested in last year, just within the span of six months, they've grown over like 35%. And they're basically riding the pandemic fallout at this point of time, right? The product was right. The market conditions shifted in their favor and, and they're riding that wave. And we have invested in a number of other companies that also have been able to accelerate their growth 
because of the pandemic, including some in food delivery, which obviously also took a huge boost during the pandemic. E-commerce, like I said, we have avoided some investments in travel at this point of time for understandable reasons. But I do believe that once the pandemic is over, we will see a huge boost in travel uh, and travel-based startups as well. I think people will do what I call revenge travel. Where you know they're gonna get out of the house and travel just to take revenge on the pandemic that and and the year that they essentially lost. And, and that's exactly what's happening. A lot of people are planning now to get out because they they've been stuck so long. So with that being the case, what are you guys seeing in terms of the startups that are doing it? Like how are they making that thirty five percent growth? And how are you guys because you guys also take a role helping these entrepreneurs, uh, mentoring them in a way or actually providing a little bit of a, an advisory role or having that involvement. So what are some of the things that you guys are helping them understand at this moment? Because there's probably some common themes and these are the golden nuggets for a lot of entrepreneurs on here and wanting to see you know, how you can provide that value for a lot of these startups as well. So are there some tips? And you guys feel free to ring them off, uh, uh, Sam and Damer, on, on some of the things that you're telling these guys what to do and how to get that growth because you guys for have sure. work. Yeah, and I'll just uh, knock a few off my list right now and Tamer then jump on in with, with what yep. you have. Uh, I think, Peter, to start off with, what I said in the beginning, the right team composition. Make sure your co-founding team is strong and can solve and fill various roles to get product market fit and validation early on. There's no need to spend on super nice to haves. You don't need to build technology to see if it's working or not. You can build a paper prototype, get customer service done, get your interviews going, use a no code software, an online tool to build a rough prototype, get it out there, get it tested. There's no point building something that nobody wants to use or nobody wants to buy. And that's a huge part of what we always encourage our entrepreneurs at that super early pre-seed stage. And then once you've discovered that you have that, you move on into growth phase and then figure out, okay, what are all the tips and tricks and strategies that you can get out there? One thing that I would probably say is what we've done quite a lot is, and again, we're industry agnostic, but we've noticed we've been making a lot of B2B investments at this point, B2B SaaS yeah. investments. And if you're a new entrepreneur and trying something out new, you need way less money to go build a B2B startup. You don't need a massive user acquisition budget to go you know, and acquire massive users at scale before you're viable. You could find one right person in that one company, which you can get through with some grit and hustle to get your product in front of them um, and make that first sale to get that validation and get that growth going. So we do support a, our entrepreneurs a lot in finding out you know, who is that key critical customer going to be, who's going to be your champion. How do you get there? We're very lucky that within the fund itself, we have 30 amazing entrepreneurs who have invested in the fund and they have an amazing and vast network. And we help connect our startups with them to see like if that. anybody in their network can, can help. Now, it's cliched, but we definitely leverage the network effect so to speak. So off the top of my head, that's what comes to my mind. We do help a lot with future fundraising as well. And again, that's a product of our own experience fundraising and the investors in our group. One thing we also help entrepreneurs understand are the various paths of fundraising available to them. I think most entrepreneurs are familiar with only one main path, which is venture capital VC fundraising, which is the, the uber glorified path that everybody is about in the news. But there's definitely equity crowdfunding platforms. There's a venture debt. There's retail investors. There's capital markets. There's many different paths. And depending on the startup, VC capital may not be the best path for you. And we help our entrepreneurs identify that and then execute on strategies to help them get the right capital in a timely manner, you know, and then at the right valuation for them as well. 
So I'm locked up most of the points that are in terms of how we do help startups. Uh, one thing to add from my end is that usually after a startup gets to MVP, we do want to go hard at sales. And so and that's why having a strong core team of one that's tech background, one that is sales, right? They can both they can both grind it out. And we would help them usually also with our network, you know, as, as Sam mentioned. Leveraging that is very crucial. Again, it's a team working environment but also working with other startups that we that first one has invested in and working together in terms of how we can help with sales to help the companies grow. Right. You guys mentioned a lot of great points, validation in business. If I drilled one layer deep in that, Sam, Thamer, how do you, what are some of the advices that you tell them to go in terms of validating the business? How would they validate the business without spending chunks and chunks of money trying to go, let me go build this thing and then realize after it's built that there's no demand. So how do you then go up there to market to validate? First of all, I will say guilty as charged of what you said, because I have been there when I was a very young entrepreneur, you know, of building without realizing that I should probably go talk to somebody to see if it works or not. And that's exactly what we tell them is you don't need to build something pick up the phone or send them an email, whatever it is, talk to your prospective client, right? Let's get some, let's get some customers in there. Let's take them out for dinner. Let's just talk to them to really understand their problems. And oftentimes we have found adjacent problems. And I'll give an example. We have startups who are solving a particular problem and assuming that, oh, this group has this problem. And when you talk to them, you realize, yeah, that's a problem, but there's a much bigger problem that they're looking to help and help get solved on. And then the startup pivots. And, and that pivot is so important. We're not afraid of pivots. We actively encourage our startups to pivot. And I actually say no self-respecting startup got anywhere without a good pivot or two. It's very unlikely you got everything right in that first time. So try Talk to people, talk to customers, talk to customers, mock something up. You don't need to build a lot of money. Just mock yeah. it up in a design tool. Show that to a prospective customer. If it truly solves a problem for them, they will like it, even if it's just boxes and, it's not, and sketches on a napkin. Building landing pages is one aspect of it too before uh, launching. That's very crucial. From the open spot, when we pivoted, before we actually pivoted, we approached our, one of our first clients and we sat down with them. And we haven't built anything out yet. We just spoke to them, understood the problem they are facing, put together a feature list of what we want to develop. And we actually sent it to them so they can go through it. And they came back to the revision in terms of what they're actually looking for. So this way, we're building the product for our customer. So our customer is helping us build the product before we spent a single penny in terms of going out and started developing. That is magic. And that's where you guys had that you know, element where you're providing that questionnaire to them essentially. And then they're giving you what they want to invest in, what they want. That's just magic. That's incredible. That's the best marriage because you give them exactly what they want and they're happy to follow suit and invest in your venture and your idea. So at this point in time, you guys have now raised a very successful first fund. And now what do you guys see? You've experienced yourself with so many startups that you guys have invested in. So what is the next step for first fund and how are you guys scaling because your business is to marry the two right the investors capital in de-risking that capital to deploy into startups so now that you've not only successfully closed but also had the success of investing these capital uh, as startups what's next for the fund and how are you guys as entrepreneurs scaling yourselves we've had a good run uh, with first fund one right now we 
within uh, six months of our launch, we're, we've already driven about 53% return to back to our investors, which we're very proud of and very happy about. And you said you know, 53%. that's correct, Peter. And that number is only going to go further up from here at this point of time. This is just the beginning for us right now. So we are stoked about that. Uh, Very excited about that. The next step for us as a fund is obviously going to be to raise First Fund 2, which is going to be a a larger fund than uh, than First Fund 1. We're going to be doing that later this year in a few months' time is uh, is when we're thinking of maybe starting to raise First Fund 2. And that's a really good question. How do you scale that up? Because from first one, one, you know, we've we've made about sixteen investments so far, with a few yep. more coming. And like we do provide and get our hands dirty and work very closely with the founders. And at a certain point, you find yourself stretched um, across all these different startups and industries. And we realize it internally as well. So going forward with first one two being a larger fund and having even more startups, we're actually carving out niches within the fund. And we are essentially having partners come on board just to focus on specific verticals. Gaming is a big one that we invest in, for example. And we have one partner in the fund who is now from going forward solely going to be responsible for all gaming deals. And, and that's all they'll focus on. They're going to look for gaming startups, talk to gaming founders, build a great network within gaming, and then make pure investments in gaming startups and operationally help them with that. Same for e-commerce. We have another partner right now who's going to be focused exclusively on e-commerce startups and will any new e-commerce startup we invest in, they will be managing that. I think that's a great model. It helps build domain expertise. It helps build a very vast network that we can help support our entrepreneurs with. And it allows us to scale as a fund in ways that it wouldn't be possible for a one-man show or a two-people army to be able to do. Anything you want to add to that, Thamer? No, I think Sam got most of it in terms of diversification and just like adding the proper team members in terms of how you allocate the funds. And then these team members invest in the proper companies within their domain. It's basically like a pyramid that's growing, right? With the right management and the right team in place. Okay. You raised very successful and very quickly on your first fund. Now that you're raising bigger capital, yes, you've had 53%, which is remarkable. What are other things like now that you're going to scale up on a bigger, more resources, more investors, how are you reaching investors? Can you share with us how you plan on getting more investors involved? Because you can always find more startups. There's plenty of those, but how are you going to find more investors and raise bigger capital per se? Yeah. The funny thing is, and my whole career has been obviously fundraising is always very hard to do, but we're finding that it gets easier when you have good traction, which is definitely the case right now. To begin with, we we have a commitment from pretty much everyone who invested in our first one, who one who wants to come back and take a part in first fund two as well. So that is great. And in a lot of cases, they actually want to come in for a larger amount than what they previously invested in first fund one. So first priority obviously will go to our existing investors who are quite keen on getting involved. We have a, a lot of entrepreneurs and investors from when you were first raising first fund one who were very excited about what you were doing, but they wanted to sit on the sidelines, see how the fund does, and then get involved with the second one. We're definitely going to be going back to, to them as well and, and basically say, hey, the time is now. And then beyond that, we haven't put too much thought in about how will we go out and, and talk to external investors. Actually, one more thing, we'll definitely need to do that to close it on out fully. But I would say one thing that really helps Peter in fundraising, which you know, is if you tell somebody you're going to do something, and then you go away and you take some time and you do it and you come back and tell them, hey, I did what I said I would do. It does make fundraising infinitely easier. And we're hoping to have that behind our back as we go raise the second fund. That's great tip. Famer. 
Absolutely, yeah. And as, as I mentioned, and I think also one thing we'll be looking at for the for first fund too is strategic uh, international investors. I think that'll be crucial for us to help grow and allocate the funds wisely and look for proper entrepreneurs and startups to invest in internationally. Very cool. So here's a question. Like I've seen a lot of, that's why I invest in a lot of businesses. So one of the things is how we recognize the investors. I've seen yeah, funds similar to what you guys do, maybe not as mature, maybe not the same area. Maybe they focus on a, on a particular niche. Reward investors from a serial investments from the first fund to the second to the third and really build that loyalty involved. What type of things do you think is going to be important to investors? Because from that standpoint, you guys have understood what investors want by de-risking. What other things do you think would be very important or, or have also built that track record for you guys um, working with investors? Yeah. Investors want to know what's happening. I cannot tell you the number of startups that I've seen that raise funds from investors and then never give an update. Or months later, you you have investors following up saying, hey, what's happening? Tell me a little bit about where the company is or, or what things are doing. And that's a big no-no from our perspective. I think you really want to have those touch points with your investors. It's really stakeholder management 101. I'm surprised by how, how few startups and funds actually actively engage in that. We're very proud that we very actively engage our investors. We provide a monthly update to all our investors, giving a full update of where the where the fund status is, how much has been deployed, how much is left, who have it deployed in, what are they up to, what were their wins and, and highlights and challenges that they had last month, and what do they need help with? Because again, your best bet of the startup is your investor network, and you want to have that constant touch point. So I actually remember very distinctly when you were closing first fund one, one of our investors, we were talking about that and I was telling them, and hey, we're actually going to be sending out monthly updates. And he's, wow, regular updates, that's a new one. And he was kind of shocked because he's like, yes, I've been wanting that forever from my investees. I don't get a lot of that. Definitely, I think investors, investors want to be kept in the loop and don't sugarcoat things for them. Like, listen, they've been there, they've done that. Like they've most likely built businesses themselves as well. Tell to them as it is. If it's a problem, tell them. If it's a call a spade and actively tell them what you're going to do to solve that problem or ask their help, make them part of the solution. They are stakeholders in you and they do want to see you succeed. So there's no reason why you should try to sugarcoat things. And that goes back to the honesty aspect of it, right? When you're fully honest with your investors, there's a reason they invested in you. So by being fully honest with them, tell them the truth, tell them things are not going doing well. They will help you out both to grow and to put out fires. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. That's very critical. So. As we're wrapping up here, I, I wanted to do this. I want to give you an opportunity because you guys have seen so many of these great startups that you've not only seen, but you've also put capital into. I want to give that opportunity for you guys to, to highlight some of the, the, the companies that you guys have invested in as a fund and be able to, to help these companies grow as they scale as well. So does any of them uh, ring off the top of your head that you guys really want to, to ring off? Yeah. I know maybe two or three. Yeah, oh, Peter, that's like asking which one of your children do you love the best? <laughs> you got um, children. Yeah, exactly. I think they're all amazing. And if I had to maybe, you know, talk about one, I could tell you I'm probably very excited about one of our e-commerce startups that we put a bet in called Super Commerce Group. They have an amazing roll-up strategy, very mature entrepreneurial team. They're on track probably to do... 4 million in revenues this year and 1 million in profits, net profits at this point of time. And that's just the beginning from where they can grow over there. So I am extremely bullish about it, about Super Commerce Group. One, I think there's a couple of very you know, deep tech plays that we have done as well. Another one that we are very excited about is one platform called Betsy, which is a telehealth startup for pets. 
So telehealth for humans is already a really big thing. Everybody's calling and video calling the doctors now, but pet care is a massive industry just waiting to be disrupted. And telehealth has already validated the model within humans. And Vessi is seeing the same thing from a pet's perspective. Then we've got, you know, Hobley Surgical, that is essentially a medical devices company that's building a new, safer, and more automatic drilling machine for neurosurgeons when they're performing surgery, effectively saving lives and reducing the death rate that happens on the operating table. I could keep going on and on. The list is so massive, but maybe Tamar, you want to jump in and talk about a couple that you really like? Yeah, for me, I think it's two. First, the first one is actually uh, Game Jobs Ninja, which uh, is a solid job search engine also for gaming developers. I think there's a big need for that in terms of how you can interview, find proper gaming developers from whether graphic designing or so forth. That's huge. It's hard, it's hard finding good quality gaming developers on Indeed itself or any job search engine. So being fully focused on that, I think will be crucial. And I'm going to have to say, which is my own, that we funded through the first fund, Accessible Jobs. We put together a very great and wonderful team, very skillful. The strategy we have in place in terms of growing this company to an international level in such a short span is doable. And we're very excited to launch at the end of this month and uh, we'll continue updating you on the growth on that. That's very cool. So guys, you know what? Thank you very much for being here. You guys are incredible. You guys share a lot of great nuggets as to what to do as a startup and vice versa at the same time. You guys as entrepreneurs, you guys as business and raising capital, how you're able to do that, how you're able to scale. A lot of people you know, here are also on the same journey and, and venturing on the same thing. So thank you very much, uh, Sam. Famer for being here on the Investorpreneur. We appreciate your time and, and the wisdom that you shared with us today. Thank you, Peter. It was great to be here and thanks for taking all the time. And I think I love what you're doing with the Investorpreneur. Thank you for having us. Yes, Peter. Thank you so much. We really appreciate having us. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Take care.